Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Glad that you joined us and uh, come to this very uh, uh, great time of worship today. Um, I was just thinking how, how pertinent those were. I, I tweeted this week a, a quote that caught my attention, and I thought about it when we were singing that song about how great God is. Someone said it so well when they said, maybe what we should do is concentrate not so much on doing great things for God, but just doing things for a great God. Let that sink in just a little bit. That's a good word. Not that we concentrate so much on doing great things for God, but that we do things for a great God. I just want to do some things, right? Don't have to be great. Don't have to be spectacular. Don't have to be incredible. Just things. Well, one of those things is to talk to you this morning, and so I'm glad to have the opportunity. So tomorrow morning... Early in the morning, first thing, I'll go to an early weekly breakfast. Every, early, every Monday morning, we have a, a meeting with our staff, and uh, we gather together at Bob Evans, right? Anybody like Bob Evans? You know about Bob Evans? Well, we go to Bob Evans every Monday. Now, here's what I know. I'm going to sit down tomorrow morning at Bob Evans, ready for breakfast, and our waitress is going to come along, and you know what? She's not even going to ask me what I want. She already knows she, and I haven't been going there that long. We've only been doing this probably about two months or so. But she knows that in the morning, when she comes to me, it's two eggs scrambled wheat toast and a cup of coffee. That's pretty much it. Now, she usually waits and looks at me and says, what are you having today with no notepad in hand? So what does that tell you? She knows already. But every now and then I fool her by throwing in a little slice of bacon here and there. Point is, I don't really care a lot about change. I don't really like to change. My wife asks me sometimes, why is it that you never look at a menu? Because every restaurant that I go to, I already know what they want and I already know what I want. They have it, I know what I want. She says, why do you eat the same thing all the time? I said, because if I like it, why change, right? Anybody else struggle with change? I, I do. I struggle with changing. I don't like to change things. You know, I don't like to change um, uh, anything that, you know, I don't like to change my hair. Well, it did change on me automatically. It started turning a different color, and I don't know what that's all about, but I don't really like change. But every now and then, there's something in me that I know needs to change, right? There's something in me, even though I don't like change, there's something in me that every now and then I know, recognize, needs to change. Now, it has almost nothing to do, rarely does it have anything to do with anything outwardly, but really I'm talking about things inwardly. There's just stuff on the inside that needs to change, attitudes that need to be adjusted occasionally. I know that's hard to believe about your pastor, but yeah, there's attitudes every now and then that need to be adjusted. Dreams, values, ideas, all these things, there are things that need to change. In fact, just as I want to grow physically, I want to grow inwardly. I want to grow spiritually, emotionally, in all areas of my life because I believe that is critically, critically important. We've been talking for the last four weeks about change and asking the questions from Colossians, can we really change? So we're talking about not so much a breakfast menu, but we're talking about attitudes of the heart. We're talking about inward issues Hurts, habits, hang-ups that we need to get beyond and change. Can those things really change? Because I've heard so many people say this statement that I felt like this needed to be addressed. Here's the statement. Ah, uh, he'll never change. Ah, uh, she'll never change. Or, Pastor, you don't understand. I could never change. I just believe 
that change is possible. And so we've been talking about this thing of change and, and how God changes us. And we've come to realize that change begins, change comes with new life. When we have new life, real change begins. The secret to change inwardly, spiritually, the kind of change we're talking about, is not necessarily a new habit, although it might include a new habit. It's not necessarily a new mindset, although it may include a new mindset. The key to real change is new life in Christ. And literally, the Bible teaches us that when we come to faith in Christ, now get this, this is work you're getting up early for, when we come to faith in Christ, we actually have a new identity, a new person, new values. Do Some of you who are football fans, college football fans in particular, probably know Trevor Lawrence. Anybody know Trevor Lawrence, know who that is? I don't, I don't even know him personally, but maybe you know who he is. If you're not a fan, you may not. Well, Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. I believe he was a freshman this year, freshman quarterback for the national champion Clemson Tigers. Was he a freshman? Wasn't he a freshman? Now, that doesn't impress me because I'm not a Clemson Tiger fan. In fact, I rooted against them all the way from the start of the end of the season. Anyway, that's new here and there. But here's what impressed me with Trevor Lawrence. One day, Trevor Lawrence was sitting on a big, big platform, a platform that not many college freshmen have, speaking to thousands and thousands of people through media. And as he was interviewed, I want to read you what Trevor said. Freshman. So I'm guessing he's, what, 19, maybe? I don't know, 19-ish? Here's what Trevor said. And by the way, he's just won a national championship on the biggest stage ever, right? He's just walloped Alabama. Sorry, Alabama fans. I didn't mean to bring that out. He's just done an incredible thing. And here's what he says. Listen to this. He says, football is not like the biggest thing in my life. What? It's the biggest thing in a lot of our lives, and we're not even playing, right? He says, football, this is the national championship quarterback. Football is not like the biggest thing in my life. He then revealed what is, he said. I put my identity in what Christ says, who he thinks I am, and who I know that he says I am. Adding that, it doesn't really matter what people think about me or how good they think I play. That's definitely been a big thing for me in my situation. Just knowing that and having confidence in that is huge. Now, that may not strike you, but that struck me. Because here is a young man who's reached the pinnacle of his sport. Truth be known, a whole lot of us at one point or another our kids at one point or another, or our grandkids, according to your age, find their identity today in sports and their value on how many W's we can put in the column. Here's a young man reached his highest pinnacle and says, doesn't matter to me what, think, what people think about me as a football player. My identity is not found there. My identity is found in Christ. Now, I don't know if that's a new buzzword. I don't know if that's something that's new, but I hear a lot of talk today about my identity or my, de my definition. We, I hear a lot of talk today about people saying this, well, this defines me, or this is not going to define me, and, or this is not my identity. This is not who I am. What does all that ghibli garbage mean? I, I think, I, I had to think about it a little bit, and so I began to think about 
a phrase that I'm familiar with to my generation. It's called an identity crisis. Everybody, anybody know about that? Ever had an identity crisis? Or somebody think you're having an identity crisis? What does that mean? Our identity defined as who we are, what our values are, literally what makes us tick. So do you see why I'm so stunned by Trevor Lawrence's statement? You would think that he would be defined that his values would rest solely upon success in his particular sport, which is college football. But he says, no, my identity is in Christ. Wow. Now, why I think that's so important is this. If we could learn, if we could arrive at the place where we find our identity in Christ and our value in Him, if He can define us and who He says, as Trevor said, who He says I am could define us, you talk about change. There'd be drastic change in our life. There'd be real change in our life. There'd be lasting change in our lives. And we'd be a different group of people. I read this week also about a survey. I'm, I'm going to get to Colossians in a minute. I got a lot of front porch this morning, but I read a survey, a blog this week that was very interesting to me by J.D. Griar. I don't know if you read him or not, but J.D. said this. He had read a book. I've not read yet, but I'm going to get it called Unchristian. Unchristian. And he talked about in the book a survey that was taken by the Gallup organization, which is an organization that always does surveys of all manner, but particularly religious surveys. And in their survey, uh, according to Greer, they asked the question of followers of Christ, what do you do that makes you different than everybody else? And his answers were, the answers that came up were kind of interesting to me. The first one was this. The first answer was, and remember, this is not other people. This is Christians talking. And they say, the first thing that makes me different is I don't cuss in public. Okay? Now, I find that very interesting. Now, I'm glad you don't cuss in public, but that, mean, that just means you've learned when and where to cuss. Is that what that means? I, I don't know. Does it learn not to cuss in front of mom and daddy or the boss or whomever? I don't know, but that was the answer. Uh, the second one was kind of close to it, and they said the second thing we do is that, um, th that we, we, don't, uh, we don't gamble. We don't buy lotto tickets. Okay, we don't buy lotto tickets. Well, I'm thinking, I don't know who they surveyed, but... <laughs> But I know a whole lot of us who buy lotto tickets. I'm not sure where that goes from. Anyway, the list goes down, and it's about five or six things. And here's what's interesting. By the way, somebody asked me one time, well, preacher, if, if, let me ask you this question. If it's wrong to buy lotto tickets, then what if I win big? Would you take a tithe? I'd say, absolutely. <laughs> why wouldn't I? Of course I would. I mean, why not use the devil's money? But anyway, <laughs> I, that was not in my notes, guys. I'm sorry. I should stay in the notes. <laughs> Point of this survey was, when you look at all the things that were listed, honestly, there uh, weren't a whole lot of big changes, a whole lot of things that we do different than other people. As a matter of fact, there were some things that were very conspicuously left off the list. Things like visiting pornographic sites on the computer, that was left off. Hmm. Things like Taking legal and illegal drugs left off. And I could go down the list. What's my point? The point is, this new life in Christ, if it gives us a new identity, you would think that there would be change in our lives. 
And that change, listen to me carefully, change is not only possible, change for the true follower of Christ is probable. That is, not only can we change as followers of Christ, we should change as followers of Christ. And frankly, that's not just alone from effort. That is by nature because our nature is different. Now, I know you're thinking, I don't know if this guy knows what he's talking about. So let's go to the Apostle Paul. Let me share with you what Paul says to the Colossian church that I think really just boils it down to this thought. And the thought is that real change comes from a new life. And this new life brings change by its very nature. And so honestly, honestly, I think if there's not change, frankly, we should be examining ourselves to see if there's new life. Now, I'm not threatening there. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to bring anybody under any kind of false conviction. I'm just saying if there's not change, maybe we need to see if there's really new life or is it just religious activity that we're a part of. Well, Colossians chapter 3. I love this chapter because it's one of the most powerful. In fact, this is one of the only chapters we're going to spend a couple of weeks in. I think it's worth our time. But Colossians, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 3, talks about this new identity we have in Christ. Now, notice what he says. He says, so... So we're we understand from that he's building on everything that he said so far. I hope you've been with us. If you haven't been with us, you can go to our website, check the podcast out, and you can get caught up. So if you have been raised with Christ, he says. Now, interestingly, remember, remember I've told you before, and I, I don't want to keep repeating, but sometimes repetition is good. Remember that the New Testament is written in the Greek language, right? It's not written in our English. I, I know some of us think it was written in the King James English, but it wasn't. It was written in Greek. And then the, the, the English writers began to, or English scholars began to translate from the Greek into English. And if you know anything about languages, sometimes you know that things can get lost in translation because there's just not the same way to say those things. I was in Israel not too long ago. Paul, you might remember this. And we were riding down a road one day, and we came to an, over to an overpass on the highway, and somebody said to my guide, to Hillel, said, Hillel, how do you say overpass in Hebrew? And he said, overpass. <laughs> there's just not a Hebrew word for that, right? Sometimes that happens. Well, here, if you have been... In the verbal sense, of, uh, in the Greek language, really is since you have been. That's the idea. Since you have been. If you have been, in, in one sense, but to help you understand, it's not a question, maybe, if, maybe not, maybe so. But since you, if, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, I want you to see these first four verses because here he's going to unpack the gospel and tell us what we've learned so far. Very important. Look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. All right, go to verse 3. He says, for you died. That's important. You died. You're like, well, what, what does that mean? I'm not dead. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I, I know you need to read that slowly because there's a lot there. But let me just unpack a little bit here that talks about our identity in Christ, who we are, who Christ says we are, right? Just as Trevor said, 
I am who Christ said I am. Who does he say you are? Well, first of all, he said that you're dead. No, you're thinking, oh, I didn't want to come to church to hear that today. No, 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 you need to hear it here. You're dead. What are you dead? We are, we are dead to ourselves. Our old man, our old nature died. You remember when we do baptism? Remember the last baptism we did? Or the last baptism I did, we, we say things differently. And I, I can't recall, Toby, how, what exactly you said. But here's what I say when I bury, when I bury somebody. When I baptize somebody. Y'all bear with me this morning. It's going to be a day. I've had a house full of grandkids since Wednesday. Is that enough said? Okay. Um, so when I baptize somebody, what do I do? I take them in the water and I say, buried with Christ in baptism and risen to walk in newness of life. What do I mean? It means we've died to our old way. We've died to our old man. I've died to my old self. He's not talking about a literal physical death, but he's saying you died and your life is hit. And by the way, in verse 1, he said what? You died and you were raised with Christ. Now, that's the good thing. You didn't just die with Christ. You were raised with Christ, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. Why? Because the old man is dead. The new man has come alive, and now we are in Christ. In fact, he says you're hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with him. Now, I don't know exactly how I want to explain that, except to say the best I think I can do is to say that he wraps his life around us. Wow. My life is hidden, but his might bring glory and honor. I want to read another quote to you. Listen to this. A.B. Simpson said it this way. Love it. I think he hit it on the head. He said, our life is hid from the world which cannot understand us. It's hidden from the devil who cannot steal us. It's hidden often from our own consciousness. The security of our life is not in our experience but in him. Do you hear that? The, the reality, the security of our life is not in me and who I am, how far I can throw a football, or how many W's I can put in the win column. It's not based on how great a career I can have, how many cases I can win as an attorney. It is not built on those things at all. It is built on Christ and Him alone. And His glory is really what matters, not my own. You see, that's why, that's why I'm so big on the statement I quoted earlier, and that statement being, don't worry about doing great things for God. You know why you want to do great things for God, frankly? Because you want to get glory for it. But if you're willing to be willing to just do things for a great God, then He gets the glory for it. Does that make sense at all? So you see, it's not about me and my identity is all about this. I've been dead. I'm dead. My old man is dead. The old Eddie died and was buried and was raised to new life in Christ. And, and watch this. Go back to that screen just a minute, guys. Look, when Christ, who is my life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I got a pretty good retirement plan. <laughs> a pretty good retirement plan. I remember sitting in my office when I was about 25 years old, first church I was in, I'd have my children by then, and so I'm sitting in my office one day, and not to whine, because I'm thrilled with what God's done with my life, but I'm sitting there with not much of a paycheck and no benefits, okay? And I'm sitting there thinking, God, what am I gonna do when these kids get to college? 
what am I going to do if we ever have health issues, you know, and I got a, a big hospital bill? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have any benefits to this job. And, you know, all my friends were in these jobs with these great benefits, retirement and medical, and, and I'm with none of those, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And God took me to the 103rd Psalm, and he says, forget not all my benefits. And immediately I knew I had the best retirement program in the world and he would take care of all of my needs and guess what he did both my kids went to college finished college don't get bigger medical bills between me and Brody combined we're back in the black on any kind of things we paid out for medical what's the point the point is we have Christ and our security and our foundation is in him and him alone that's the gospel the gospel is when you came to faith in Christ you died to yourself you were buried with Christ and when you watch this were raised with him you were raised to walk in a new life in a new body now that's pretty good news I know it's early Sunday I know we don't say amen a lot but that'd have been a real good place to say a big hearty amen right there because that's good news that's who you are and if Trevor Lawrence is right and if we can take a lesson from a 19 year old kid and in this case I think we can that's our identity that's who we are how can we not change but now Paul's gonna go a little further and now he's going to say to us, now that's the gospel. Now here's the result of that. Here, if you want to see that lived out, fleshed out, because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, that sounds great. Sounds good to say on a Sunday morning, but what, what do we do with the practical life? Okay, so here's where he gets practical. Beginning in verse 5, he begins to unpack what that looks like. He says, therefore, okay, begins with therefore. Why? When you see, what it, when you see therefore, you always look to see what it's there for. So you go back, because we are in Christ, because of my new identity in Christ, because I'm buried with him and risen to walk in newness of life, because my old man is dead and my new man is alive, therefore, put to death. Now, he's going to use two terms that you're going to see over and over. He's going to talk about putting to death. He's going to be talking about putting off and putting on. There are some things we take off. There are some things we put on. Now, if you're really sharp, you may remember we talked about this during our Mr. Rogers series. We, we went to the same passage. But it merits going back to in this light and in this particular, <clears throat> through this particular um, filter. He says this, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Now, in other words, these are the things that belong to the nature that you once had. And then he comes up with a list. Now, I don't think this list is intended to be exhaustive, but he's helping us understand what he's talking about. So here's what you put to death. Sexual immorality impurity lust evil desire and greed which is idolatry so he says we put off sensuality we put off materialism we look at now here's what he's saying we look at things differently we look at these things differently these things instead of enticing us should repel us now unfortunately watch as they still tempt us come on I'm not trying to say we're not tempted by these very same things just because the old man is dead, the dogs still bark a little bit. And we still get tempted. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, he tells us, you need to put off these things. It's a continuous action. 
And then he goes a little further. He says, because of these, verse 6, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you, watch this, once walked in these things when you were living in them. You see what he's saying? This is your old nature. This is the way you used to walk. This is the way you you used to walk according to your own lust, according to your own pleasure, according to your own desire, according to whatever made you feel good. You remember the old bumper sticker I used to see in cars all the time said, if it feels good, do it. That is bad advice, by the way. Makes for a fancy bumper sticker, but it's horrible advice. It might feel good right now, but there's consequence to follow. We need to understand that. And so he says, this is the way you once walked. These are all the things in the old man. These are the things that need to be put to death, he says, and buried with Christ. Verse 8, but now put away, (laughs) see, put it away. Put away all the following anger. Oh, man. If he'd have just stayed on that other stuff, I'd have been a lot better off, wouldn't you? He's including anger. What? Yeah, put away the following, anger, wrath, malice. You know, those are not necessarily synonymous, don't you? They're not necessarily synonymous. They're not all talking about the same thing. He's not just beating the the nail a bunch of times. I think it's progressively worse. What starts with anger, what starts with anger can quickly move to wrath. We want to strike back, which can eventually work to malice which is where we actually harm someone, right? So he's talking about a progressing. Put away slander. I hate to say it, but I wish the church would learn that one. Uh, This isn't just worldly stuff. Slander. Be careful what you say about people. By the way, can I just throw this in? It's not on my notes. I'm wondering a lot today. But I'm going to tell you this carefully. Don't choose to use social media as a place to slander people. Be careful what you say about people, social media. I know, it's really easy. Just a couple of types of the keyboard, and I can let them have it. Be careful. Enough said about that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. He says, do not lie, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new So he's just telling what I've already said. He's just saying, put this off because all these things need to die. It's not a part of who you are. It's who you used to be, yes. But there needs to be change. And that change comes from new life because now these are buried and you've been walked with a new nature, a new self. Look what he says about that. He says, verse 10, And have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is no Greek, nor, nor Jew, nor circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. <laughs> There's so much there, I don't even know where to start. Except to say, he says, when we come to Christ, we view people through a different filter. We should deal, watch this, we should see people through a different filter. The ugliest one of us becomes a soul that Christ died for. Why can't I slander? No, 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 no. here's why you can't slander. If you just knew what a jerk he is. I, well, I understand what a jerk he is. But he's a jerk that Christ died for. 
You know what I'm saying? I, I know it makes us a little uncomfortable. But, but, but watch. She's a jerk that, that Christ died for. I get it. I don't have to hang out with them. But I see people through a different perspective. There's no Jew or Gentile. Slave or free. But Christ is in all. And is all. Verse 12. Therefore... As God's chosen ones, there's another part of your identity, chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Did you know, watch this, have you seen your identity mounting? Now listen to me carefully, I'm fixing to give you something really practical in just a moment. And one of the things I want to say to you is it would not be a bad idea. I know this is going to sound crazy. Some of you are going to think I'm playing mind games. I'm not whatsoever. But I do know this. Paul said to the Roman church, he said, he said to the Philippian church, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says there's something to this mind. And then he said to the Roman church that we ought to renew our mind. You remember? <clears throat> Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Can I just tell you something? It might do you a lot of good to sit down and write down some of these things that I'm talking about, this your identity, so that every day you start your day by declaring your values and who I am in Christ. So before the big bully devil gets a chance to tell you who you aren't, you can tell him who you are. I am dead in Christ. The old me is gone, and I'm risen to walk in newness of life. And I have the life of Christ. In fact, Christ is my life, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. And I am God's beloved. I am holy. I am His, and He declares that He is mine. That's a pretty good way to start the day. Because I'm going to tell you, the bully of the devil will tell you everything but that. He'll tell you you're a nobody, you're ugly. He'll tell you you're just a defeated little no, nothing. Don't believe the bully. Get last week's message. Don't believe the bully. Listen, that's incredible. You are holy and dearly beloved. He says, put on. Now he's telling us what to put on. This new man, here's what you put on. Here's how you dress in the mornings. You ready? Put on compassion. That's a good place to start. Compassion. Kindness. May I just say this? A Christian never has the right to be unkind. Did you hear me? A Christian never has the right to be unkind. I don't, I don't mean you have to like it. I don't mean you have to buy into their values. I don't mean you have to con condone what somebody's doing. You never have the right to be unkind. I heard that statement 30 years ago, and it has stuck in my mind. There have been moments when I have wanted to jerk it out. But I'm reminded, I never have the right to be unkind. And because God has a sense of humor, if and when I decide to be unkind, and it's usually on the road, The last thing I see in the vehicle is an orchard sticker in the window. <laughs> Just saying. Watch, he goes on. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Wouldn't you like to just take something black and mark through that? We have no right to be unkind, and really we have no room for unforgiveness in our hearts. You say, well, how do I get it out of there? It takes a lot of work. You have to root it out. You know why? Because that... that 
anger and that bitterness goes deep and forms a root in our hearts. And if you notice, you know this, don't you? It's easy to pluck and cut something off. It's harder to dig down into the root, pull it out. I hate that nut grass. Don't you hate that nut? Y'all know what nut grass is? I hate that stuff because you can cut it off and it just comes right back until you go down to the root and pull it out. Above all, he says, verse 14, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I know what you're thinking, but so let me just go ahead and say it. I got about two minutes. I know what you're, no, that's not what you were thinking. What you were thinking is this. Well, some of you might have been thinking that. Here's what you're thinking. Well, how do I do that? That all sounds really cool, but how do I do it? I'm not Trevor Lawrence. And frankly, even though I'm a lot older, I don't have that mindset. Well, Paul is going to give you the answer. And I'm, I'm not going to expound on each one because I don't have time. But I'm going to give them to you. This is worth hearing. Watch this. Beginning in verse 15, <clears throat> he outlines <clears throat> how we are to react. Look at verse 15. First of all, cultivate a grateful heart. <clears throat> how do you do it? Start by cultivating a grateful heart. He says, let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. I'm going to tell you something. There was nothing that will change your heart quicker than cultivating a grateful heart. If you can quit complaining about what you don't have and be thankful for what you do have, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Instead of getting up tomorrow morning and saying, oh God, it's Monday, why not say, thank God for another day of life and breath. I know you say that sounds simple. It might be simple, but we don't do it. <clears throat> you know, uh, so uh, I better not say that. I, I'm just saying, <clears throat> you know, it's important that we change our attitude, reverse our attitude. Be thankful for the day that God's given you. Instead of complaining about what you don't have, thank God for what you do have. I don't have a swimming pool in the backyard. Now, some of you may. I'm not saying that's sinful. I'm saying my envy is simple. But I have to learn to change and say, God, I don't, have, I don't have a pool in my backyard. But last night, I had six grandkids run around playing chase in the dark in my backyard. I want to cultivate a grateful heart. You know, you say, oh, silly, of course your grandkids are more than pools then why not thank God for it? I could just go on. I don't have time. Look at the next verse. Verse 16. <clears throat> he says, Let the peace of Christ... That's it. Go to the next one, guys. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Second piece of advice. You want to see change in your life? Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. What that means is, the word dwell there in the Greek is the idea of feeling at home with right? Not as, you're, it's not there as a guest. It's not a guest in your family. It's not a guest that you invite in every now and then. It is a part of me. It dwells with me. Study your Bible. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's just preacher talk. No, it is not preacher talk. This is talk from somebody who's done it a long time. Study your Bible. Read it. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. There's so much here. Get in your Bible. That is such a key. I'm telling you, it'll inspire you beyond what I can say. So I don't even know how to study the Bible. Then go to our more video this week. Somebody shared with me this morning about the more video last week. This week's more video is going to be talking about very practically how to study your Bible. 
Very simple, practical manner for how to study your Bible. So tune in. It'll be, it should be up this afternoon on our website. <clears throat> Go to more. Or get in a group that's studying through that together. Study the Bible. Look at the next one. <clears throat> in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, God, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Third thing I want to say, learn from other people. Don't be afraid to learn from other people. Find somebody who can mentor you. I believe this. I believe every person who is a follower of Christ needs to have a mentor. Listen to me carefully. I'm almost done. Needs to have a mentor and needs to be a mentor. You need to find somebody who can mentor you and then find somebody younger that you can mentor. Don't be afraid to learn from other people. That's why groups are so important. That's why we encourage people to get into groups because we learn so much from other people. We learn from people around us. I am thankful for men and women in my life who have mentored me, who I have learned from. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. And look at the next verse, and it goes kind of along with this one, and, and, I, and we're done. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That, my friend, is engaging in sincere worship. That is sincere worship. Now, so many times we think of worship as what we do when we're singing, right? And singing is a part of it. Don't get me wrong. But, but, but real sincere worship is when we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to me carefully. If you're back there serving in 252 or First Look, if you're, if you're greeting people, if you're, if you're checking in kids, if, if you're working back there running a computer and, and, and lights and sound and, and whatever you Listen, when we do that unto the Lord, we are engaged in sincere worship. It is so much more than just singing. But singing is a part of it. I'm not saying, I don't think he's saying here that your life is changed if you come to church and sing every Sunday. No, you might not be a singer. Have you noticed that people are singing publicly less and less? Even the national anthem of the ball game, right? You, I don't ever know if I'm supposed to sing or not sing. Am I, am I singing or listening? I, I get that. It's more than singing. It is engaging in service to our God. And when you serve, I'm telling you, you set yourself up to change. So here's the takeaway, and I'm done. What do we take away? New life begins with new birth. Real change begins with new life, but new life begins with a new birth. In fact, if you've not experienced that new birth, you probably have no clue what I've just been talking about. And you're probably sitting there thinking, I don't know what he's talking about. How does that change? But if you've experienced the new birth that comes from faith in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Now, you're not going to stand up here like I'm not going to stand up here and say, oh, I'm perfected in all this stuff. No, no, no. But I know this. The stuff that accompanies that old man in me now repels me. I'm repulsed by it. I don't want anything to do with it. And when it gains a victory over me, I don't like it. And even if it's fun to be unkind for a minute, I don't like it when I'm done. Why? Because the new man in me wants to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, mercy. That's where I want to go. 
So even though I'll order tomorrow two eggs scrambled wheat toast and coffee, I'll know that there's some things about me that must change. Pray with me, would you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I want to thank you for new life. I want to thank you for new life that comes through Christ. Not my own efforts, but through faith in you. God, I, I am desperately needful of your grace in my life. Because I know I can't change these things on my own. I know it. But I know the grace of Christ, the power of Christ, the indwelling of Christ, the Spirit of Christ is able to make all the changes that are needed in my life. So God, afresh and anew today, I yield my heart to you and you alone. Now, I hope you've been challenged a little bit this morning. And maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I don't know if those things exist in my life. I don't even know if I understood what you were talking about. Perhaps today... The call on your life is to yield your life to Christ and having heard the gospel to believe it. Remember the order we've seen in Colossians chapter 1. They heard, then they believed, then their lives began to change. First you hear, then we believe, and then our lives begin to change. But you can't get it out of order and just think, I'll change my life. No. You need a new birth. You need to hear the gospel, which you have. Now, believe and let Christ indwell you so that the old man can die and be buried and you can walk in newness of life. If you're here this morning, that's your desire, that's your, that's your aim, then you know what? You can do that. Right now, you can give your heart to Jesus Christ. He'll give his life to you. He'll take your life and hide it in him. Wow. So how do I do that, Pastor Eddie? You just, you, by praying. Prayer is the attitude of your heart. And in your heart, through prayer, just telling God, I want to give up. I've tried it my way. I'm going to give my life to you. Let your life flood me right now. Just pray right now. Right now. Dear God, I believe you want to set us free this morning from all that binds us, the chains that hold us, the fears that stop us. Remind us today who we are in Christ. And for those here, Father, who don't know you, I pray that today would yield their lives to you. For those of us who are followers of Christ, God, remind us of our new identity and what defines us today. Turn our attention back to you, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.